Into our hearts, into our hearts. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. Come in today, come in today. Come into our hearts, Lord Jesus. That is always my prayer as I prepare to lead this worship service on Thursday night. My name is Hal Brady, and my special prayer is that you will be blessed both by the Word and the music. And I hope you'll have time to ask somebody to join us on these Thursday nights. That would be appreciated. Our scripture lesson comes from Acts chapter 9, beginning at verse 10. Would you hear the word of God? Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. The Lord said to him, Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, Look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, which are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. A few weeks ago, Time magazine named Pope Francis 
at his 2013 Person of the Year. Those of us who have been following the ministry of Pope Francis are not at all surprised. Differing from other popes, Pope Francis lives a Spartan lifestyle. He's made it perfectly clear that the ministry of the church is to the poor and to those who have special need. He has also made it clear that the church is open to everybody. Consequently, he's not going to condemn other people. He's kept the church open to everybody. And that is one of the signal things that characterizes his ministry. He has also challenged the world's economic systems. In other words, he has questioned the imbalance between the rich and the poor. So here we have this pope representing the very best of the church. In a recent issue of Christian Century magazine, I read an article and the editors had said this, as Francis sees it, the joy of the gospel is rooted in an experience of God's love in Jesus. And rather than saving people out of this world, the gospel gets them involved in the messiness of this world. The gospel joy which enlivens the community of disciples is a missionary joy, says the Pope. It's a joy that can't be suppressed. So here we have Pope Francis standing in the gap. He's standing in the gap bringing hope and liberation and comfort to a troubled church and a troubled world. And then let's go back a decade. On October 31st, 1517, a monk named Martin Luther picked a fight with the religious establishment. He had the audacity to challenge the church's indulgences, the selling of indulgences. Luther posted 95 theses on the walls of All Saints Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and ignited the Protestant Revolution. And then people wanted to, him to recant of his beliefs. And so in 1521, at the Diet of Worms, this is what he said. They were hoping he was going to recant, but he didn't. This was his testimony. My conscience is taken captive by God's word. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to act against our conscience is neither safe for us nor open to us. On this I take my stand. I can do oh, no other. God help me. Amen. God knows we need people who are willing to stand in the gap. We need people who are willing to stand in the gap in the midst of evil and bring about good. We need people who are willing to stand in the gap and bring about nonviolence in a world that's been on its own destruction. We need people who are willing to stand in the gap and represent love and justice amidst all the demons of selfishness and negativism and prejudice and all of those kind of things. For a few minutes, I want to talk to you about Ananias. Oh, I know that this scripture lesson is about Paul and his conversion on the Damascus Road. But as I said, I want to talk to you about Ananias. Ananias, this man who stood in the gap and represented Christ before this great persecutor of Christians. This is what the Lord said to Ananias. And I want you to hear again these words. The Lord said this to Ananias. Get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he's praying. And he's seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen 
to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I want you to notice Ananias' availability. His availability. How much do we really know about Ananias? Not very much, to be sure. Some people have conjectured that he must have been a sandal maker. But if that was his occupation, whatever it was, he was invested in the way. The way of the one who said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Now, obviously, Ananias had never met Saul. But he had certainly heard about his persecution of the believers. Admitting you were a Christian before Saul was like signing your own death certificate. It would be like an American saying to a terrorist in Afghanistan that this person is an American. Yet nevertheless, nevertheless, Ananias took the risk and he went on behalf of Christ to see Paul. In a sense, Ananias was the connecting link between Saul's conversion on the Damascus Road and Paul's mission to Asia Minor, to Greece, and to Rome. We're even told in Acts 22 that Ananias was the interpreter of Saul's experience. Ananias was the one that instructed Saul in how to live for a new purpose, how to have new directions, how to follow the will of God. Consequently, Ananias played a big role in helping Saul become Paul with his mission. Stating it differently, Ananias was available to the call of Christ. When Christ called him, what did he say? He said, here I am, Lord, here I am. But on another occasion, we find Paul in a prison cell waiting to be executed. But he was very concerned about the community of faith in Philippi. So he wanted to find out about it. He would love to have gone himself, but he was in jail. So he asked Timothy to go. So Timothy was preparing to go to Philippi to bring back the report to Paul. But what we find out is, in the record, is that Timothy was not the first person Paul asked to go to Philippi. Paul had actually asked some other people to go. But these people had somehow refused. So the question is, how did these people refuse? Why did they refuse? And though the record doesn't make it clearly, nevertheless, there's still something clear about all this. For one thing, they didn't go because the journey was difficult. The journey was difficult. For another reason they didn't go, as Paul put it, is because he didn't have anybody else that would be concerned about him like Timothy. And then a third reason these people didn't go had also to do with the fact that they were looking after their own interests rather than the interests of Christ. These folks simply were preoccupied with other things. They were unavailable. In a Peanuts cartoon, Lucy is out there with a beautiful baseball glove, and she's out in the field, and she's shouting to the pitcher, pitch the ball, do a good job, use some finesse, do all of this. And then suddenly the ball was hit to her, and it went right over her head. And at that point, Charlie Brown shouted out, for somebody who talks so much, how come you never catch the ball? And then Lucy replies, I'm out here in an advisory capacity. That's the way it was with some of those followers who were companions of Paul. They were just more in an advisory capacity than willing to do the work that God wanted them to do. But let's go back to our text again. I repeat, Ananias was available to God's call. He said, here am I, Lord. In God's kingdom, calling always trumps credentials. Calling always trumps credentials. 
God does not call the qualified. God qualifies the call. And the litmus test is not experience. The litmus test is availability and teachability. Abraham, Jacob, Samuel, Joseph, what do they all have in common? They all said, here am I, here am I, Lord. Many years ago, the great missionary David Livingston was in Africa. And so he sent word back to England that he needed some help with his mission. And so the people in England said, we're planning to send some help to you, but we need to know if there's a good road between where they get off and getting to the outpost. It is said that David Livingston replied this way. He said, if those people are only going to come because they're concerned about a good road, he said, then keep them at home. He said, I don't need them. So consequently, he, he did not have those missionary help there in his place. One of the most dynamic Christians of the last century was a man by the name of William Barclay. William Barclay was a prolific writer. He was also a great Scottish theologian and preacher. Barclay died at the age of 85. But after his funeral, some of his family were going through some of his things. And they found this old yellow sheet that was simply titled An Act of Commitment. And the first signature on it was Barclay's at age 16 when he was a student at Glasgow University. Evidently, every year on his birthday, he re-signed his name from age 16 all the way to 85. So it was a long list of signatures. Now, what was he doing? He was making himself available every year for God's purposes, always making himself available. Now, if we will go when God gives us the green light, then God will take us to some inaccessible places and he will bring about some impossible things with us. I want you to notice Ananias' availability. And then the second thing I want you to notice is Ananias', Ananias attitude, his attitude. The late Harry Emerson Fosdick once said, it is not so much what life brings to us in her hands, it is what we bring to life in our spirits that makes the difference between people. Ananias could have had a bad attitude. Many do, you know. He could have just said, no, I'm not going to Straight Street. I don't want to go Christ where you tell me to go. He could have just seen obstacles and difficulties rather than opportunities. He could have just said, this is too big for me and could have been filled with self-pity. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that even though society does. What Ananias did was he talked to God about Saul. Evidently, God was willing to answer his questions. He said, yes, I'm going to use Saul for further purposes in the kingdom. So Ananias went. He began to see Saul through the eyes of God. That's it, isn't it? Beginning to see other people through the eyes of God. Beginning to see other situations through the eyes of God. I was reading in a book the other day about a colorful umpire by the name of Bill Clem. This particular umpire in these baseball games was very aggressive and he was always charging and he was very much in charge of the situation. Well, that was a crucial game that he was umpiring and the batter hit a ball out into left field and the runner on third base started running to home plate and there was a great collision, a lot of dust and one dugout said he's safe. Another dugout said he's out. But when the dust settled, Bill Clem had his hand up and he said, he ain't nothing until I've called it. Now I want you to move that over into the area of life. 
Move that over into the area of life. That's something we need to remember. Life is really not anything until we decide what it's going to be. And if it's going to be something good, we're going to have to have a good attitude, a good attitude. I have a friend named James Moore. James Moore wrote a book, said, Attitude is our paintbrush. It colors every situation. Isn't that true? Attitude is our paintbrush, and it does color every single situation we find ourselves in. That is so critically important. There was a, a great preacher that was at Trinity Church in Boston, Phillips Brooks. Someone asked him one day, how are you so confident about everything? You're always serene and poised, and you're also so confident. He said, well, and I love what he said. He said, I'm a Christian. You see, what he was saying was, as a Christian, he knew God was with him. He knew that nothing could ever separate him from God. So consequently, he had a lot of peace and poise and confidence. Now, John Maxwell has written many books. In one of his books, he, just, he used seven characteristics to describe a positive person. He said a positive person has these seven characteristics, and I certainly think he is correct. Number one, a belief in self. A belief in self. Someone said, you may, not, you may be a success if somebody else doesn't believe in you, but you can never be a success if you don't believe in yourself. Isn't that true? A belief in self. And then secondly, a willingness to see the best in others. A willingness to see the best in others. A wife was complaining about her husband, and she said, he irritates me so much that he makes me lose weight. This other friend said, well, why don't you leave him? She said, I will after I lose 14 more pounds. You see, this particular lady even saw a positive thing about her own husband, her own husband, a willingness to see the best in others. And then ability to see opportunities everywhere. Bill Russell was a great college basketball player. He played for Boston College. He had this motto. He said, the game is scheduled. It's going to be played. We might as well win. And then Bill Russell played for the Boston Celtics, this professional team. While he was there, they won 11 NBA titles out of 13 years. So you see, he evidently saw opportunities everywhere. And then fourthly, a focus on solutions. Positive people focus on solutions. Negative people always see problems. There's a good bit of that going on right now in the city of Atlanta and other places, blaming people for different things, talking about problems, when the key to all this is solutions. Positive people are looking for solutions. As a matter of fact, just about everything impossible that becomes possible was, first of all, something that could never be done. As I said, positive people focus on solutions. And then positive people focus on and have a desire to give. Positive people realize and they enjoy giving because they know that their gifts are going to bring about a better world. And then persistence. Positive people are very, very persistent. You know, there was a story about Vince Lombardi, the great coach of the Green Bay Packers. Some people said one of the things he said was winning isn't everything. Winning is the only thing. But what he really said was winning isn't everything, but the will to win is everything. Indeed, the will to win is everything. Persistence. Positive people are not going to let setbacks stop them from accomplishing their mission. So they are persistent. And then finding this, and then finally, the last thing that is characteristic of a positive person is a willingness to take responsibilities. Regardless of where we go up, 
what our situation, what limitations. A positive person will take responsibility for his or her life. Now, Ananias could have just had a bad attitude, but he didn't. You see, he was intoxicated with Jesus Christ. Consequently, he experienced the real happy hour. Notice his attitude. Now, before we move on, I just want to share this with you. It's something very good on attitude. Listen, the longer I live, the more I realize the impact of attitude on life. Attitude to me is more important than facts. It is more important than the past, than education, than money, than circumstances, than failures, than successes, than what other people think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is you have a choice every day regarding the attitude you will embrace for that day. We cannot change our past. We cannot change the fact that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on the string we have, and that is our attitude. I am convinced that life is 10% what happens to me and 90% of how I react to it. And so it is with you. You are in charge of your attitudes. Now, the third thing I want us to notice about Ananias is his ambassadorship. His ambassadorship. And we can see that in a single sentence. What was it that Ananias said to Saul? He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus sent me. Then he put his hand on his head, and Saul became Paul. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, sent me. There's a true story about a young fellow in Alabama who didn't have any shoes. He was just a, a kid. He had no shoes. It was wintertime. He was standing on a wall next to a bakery, just trying to keep his feet warm. About that time, a lady walked by and happened to see him. She said, do you have any shoes, and where are they? And she took the issue to heart. He said, I don't have any. She grabbed him by the hand, and they went down to the store. They went in, and she brought him a brand-new pair of shoes. When he came out of the store, he was so excited, he started running. He wanted to show his family. But then he stopped in his tracks. He turned around, and he went back to the lady. And he said, thank you, ma'am. And then he said, ma'am, could I ask you a question? And she said, yes. He said, are you God's wife? She said, no. I am one of God's children. He said, I knew it, I knew it. I knew you were related. I knew you were related. Back in 1947, Jackie Robinson, who was the first African-American baseball player to play in the major leagues, he became rookie of the year. He had had an absolutely fantastic year, the best year possible. But all the time, the Anglos in the stands kept giving these horrible tirades against him. One day in a game in Cincinnati, Pee Wee Reese, who was also an Anglo, walked over to Jackie Robinson. He put his arm around him as if to say, if you're against him, you're against us. That was such a signature event that there's now a statue in one of the Brooklyn minor league stadiums that has those two standing there in that situation. Now, Ananias didn't have to have any special training to go to Saul's house, and neither do we. The only thing he had and the only thing we need to have is God's love in, in Christ in our hearts and a commitment and a concern for the well-being of all our brothers and sisters. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus has sent me. Like Ananias, God calls all of us to stand in the gap. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. 
Thank you for the message of Scripture. Thank you for Ananias' willingness to obey and to follow your desires. And we thank you for the Apostle Paul, O oh God, for the fact that he was willing to listen and to follow. Most of all, thank you for Christ. Thank you that he lives within us and through us and with us. Thank you again for all the blessings of this life. Bless those who are in the sound of my voice or in the sight of this picture. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you very much for joining me for this uh, service tonight. And again, I hope that you will ask other people to join us on Thursday nights. Blessings on you. Good night. Thank you.